Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Both my parents are immigrants. They had no choice, you know, they had to work at a restaurant. It was super shocking for them uh, when they found out that I wanted to take over the family business. I first met Wilson Tang about a year ago when taping the episode of Restaurant Hunter you just heard in that last clip. It was all about New York's Chinatowns, and if you don't know, he owns one of New York City's most iconic restaurants, Namwa Tea Parlor. Since taking over his Uncle Wally's business in 2011, Wilson's modernized the century-old dim sum spot while keeping its old-school charm intact. He's even expanded the brand beyond its original Chinatown location with outposts in Nolita, Philly, and even China. Wilson joins me here on Hot Takes on a Plate on the Believe Podcast Network. And Wilson, before we get to the hot takes, New York City's restaurants got some much-awaited news last week. Starting September 30th, restaurants can open for indoor dining at 25% capacity. What are your thoughts on that decision? Um, the 25%, I, I think, um, personally speaking, um, it, it it's really not enough. Um, uh, for a restaurant to really survive on on just twenty five percent indoor, uh, yeah, in turn twenty five percent indoor. But um, I think with a combination of of indoor outdoor for for those who can have outdoor, which also have been that has been a struggle with as far as um, you know just with working with the DOT and whatnot, uh, getting the the outdoor stuff figured out. Um, that has also been a big uh, issue. So. Um, I think the 25% is, 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 a, is a good start. Uh, I myself will, we're, we're actually still thinking about what to do um, as far as safety protocol and, um, you know, how are we going to really enforce this? Uh, and does it make sense to do it? Because, um, you know, if we do go indoors. Now we need more cooks. We need more servers. We need more management. And will that, will the, um, 25% offset the need for that labor, which is, which is, I think a, a big question for a lot of restaurant industry folks. So, um, you know, the, the news came out last week, a couple of days ago, uh, we are still trying to formulate what the best move is for us at this location. Um, at our Nolita location, we have actually decided not to go in yet, uh, just based on the fact that the uh, Nolita location was more geared for fast casual and more geared for takeout, which we've been doing. And uh, we don't want to jeopardize the health uh, of our staff, nor do we want to invest in all the additional PPE equipment that you would need or, you know, like just getting all more like barricades and uh just extra cleaning supplies, all the stuff that you would need to, to potentially make the space safer. Well, and I know and when we, Cuomo uh, came out with that information, one of the things he brought up is ventilation, that ventilation has to be, in, I forget the wording, it was enhanced or, or modernized or whatever. But a lot of people looked at it and said, well, what does that mean? What are the details? Have you heard anything now that we're, you know, about a week past that announcement about like what you need to do with ventilation even? I mean, you're talking about PPP and stuff like, or PPE and stuff. Yeah, PPE, yeah. Um, so with the, with the ventilation, I, I've read up on it. I've, I've talking, I've, I've spoken to our uh, HVAC or air heating and cooling 
uh, professionals. Um, it, it's a tough one. Um, we, we don't have the type of um, heating and cooling um, like in most big buildings uh, that, will, that can accept these um, larger or more strict, strict um, filters. So we're, we're not even gonna be able to adhere to stricter ventilation It'd be a big uh, investment. Protocol. Yeah, yeah, it, it would be. I mean, I, we would essentially need to bring in brand new heating and cooling uh, HVAC systems in, in, in our restaurants, which, you know, as you said earlier, in a 100-year-old restaurant, that's almost impossible to do. I mean, my fear with all of this is, you know, you, you mentioned the 25% being a step in the right direction, but my fear is that you could go, you know, 50%, you could go 100%, you know, just open up indoor dining. And I question if even that would be enough right now, because there isn't as much money to go around right now. I think, uh, you know, if you, let's say all dining rooms opened in New York City, 100%, like like the olden days, I think, you know, a place like Namwa, I think would would be fine. You know, you have the reputation, you have the fan base, but I think a lot of the small mom and pops would still be gone because there just isn't as much, you know, extra spending money to go around. I mean, we are in, you know, I don't know what you want to label it, a recession, whatever, but like, you know, unemployment is very high right now and people don't have that extra money. Some people do, you know, but a lot of people don't. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, we, you know, not only that as a component, uh, we've completely lost um, just uh, our tourist business. There's just yeah. basically zero tourists from outside of the U.S. And um, yeah, you know, we, we, we definitely don't have people coming in to eat. You know, a lot of people have started going, uh, just cooking at home or just doing more um, cooking uh, in, in general. And uh, we have we have seen like a huge drop off in in just diners on on a regular basis. You know, they they're just not coming in. Either they're not working in the neighborhood anymore, like downtown, because like we have a really robust. Uh, you know, we're right by the financial center, uh, a financial district. We're close to the courts. We're close to all these uh, offices that you know people are not in the offices offices anymore. And we definitely don't have that uh, daytime business and. Uh, a weekend business. I mean, my hot take on all of this is that I think it's easy to point fingers at local officials. And look, we could, you know, discuss this all day. There have been mistakes made on the local level, most definitely. But I think on the local level, it it, it kind of like you guys, it feels lose-lose probably to a lot of these politicians trying to figure out how to navigate this because it's like they, they have this choice. Do we kill restaurants or kill people is probably the way it's playing in their heads. I think where the anger really needs to be directed right now, in my opinion, is the federal government because they dropped the ball on this. I, I mean, there should should have been a bailout the way the, the auto industry has been bailed out, the way the financial sector has been bailed out. Like I just, you know, airlines have been bailed out. There needed to be more than just PPP loans, you know, there, there needed to be more to float the industry right now because, you know, once weather gets colder, outdoor dining becomes less of an option. And if we're going to have to limit how much indoor dining is to make it safe, that's like, to me, the federal government really dropped the ball here. And I don't think it would be that hard. I mean, I know there's, there's an act, there's a, you know, a bill out there right now that that's not, nobody's doing anything on. Yeah, I you know I'm I'm definitely aware of all the, the news that's coming out, and I, I I I totally agree with you. The 
the government has definitely, you know, been, they, they can definitely have, have done more, have done better. Um, but the other thing I, I want to just to play devil's advocate is that I feel, and this is me speaking, just my thoughts, that um, the restaurant industry has also, in the last 10 years, has really spiked. And it's, it's really, a, it became a boom of a business. And, you know, I, in my industries, there's good operators, there's bad operators, there's great operators. And, you know, I, I think everyone, you know, since there was Food Network and Cooking Channel and everyone jumped on the bandwagon and chefs became celebrities, everyone wanted to open a restaurant. And I sometimes feel, aside from the gov federal government bailing us out or not bailing us out, this is kind of like a stock market correction, to be quite honest with you. And, and, and again, I, I think a lot of people will be upset of what I'm saying, but our industry has just increased dramatically um, from just from earning potential, right? Like everyone wants to open a restaurant now. It's like the cool thing to do. And something like this is, is really just going to make it, it's a correction almost like in, in, in the stock market. So I'm, I'm kind of on the fence, you know, like part of me thinks like, yes, you know, the, the federal government definitely should have bailed us out uh, or considered or, or put more consideration in it. But our industry has really just grown to a point where, you know, how many ice cream stores do you need in Chinatown or how many pizza places do you really need uh, in, in New York City? And it became a point where now we're using like social media, like, oh, who's got the better Instagram and who's got the next hit item. And sometimes that need that's just that bubble has burst. You know, and, I, I um, definitely see see part of your point because look, uh, there sometimes the only barrier to entry with a restaurant is literally do you have the funds to open it? You know, like you don't have to be a chef, you don't have to be trained in anything. There's a lot of bad restaurant food out there, as you and I know. Right. But that said, there's also what I fear is there's going to be a lot of mom and pops that are affected by this. Places where it's like you know a very small staff, family run places where the food is important to them, they're they're telling a story about their culture, and they don't have the deep reserve of, of money to, to keep something going. They don't have the social media blitz and, and, you know, PR firms and all this working for them. And I am afraid that those are the places that are going to go goodbye, and the places that are going to stay are going to be the places that have the deep pockets. And, you know, that, and then now you're talking about how does it affect people at a community level, you know, not even just the tourism level, but just a community level like I there's a coffee shop I love in my neighborhood that closed recently that it's like that's where I would go you know in the morning and I'd get my work done and it's not there anymore and and that of that affects my community you know like those are the places yeah, I'm worried yeah. about oh and and you know what um I told I can totally relate to you um just in our in, in Chinatown um you know we're talking about the mom and pops we're talking about the the, the stores that don't have all the uh, cushion right and they they just disappear. It, it just literally the next day the, the 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 gates are drawn and there's a for rent sign um, mm. put up, and that's happening almost on a daily basis. And I don't even think that we've reached the climax of this. I, I think it's going to get worse before it can get better. Um, yeah, the fall is a tough time of year. Yeah, but I want to leave this on a good note though, Rob. Um, 
You know, That's what I love about you. You're, you're, you're very positive, Wilson. That's what I love yeah, about you. Yeah. You will turn this around so we can have some fun with some hot takes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I, on that note, I always want to, um, you know, say that as a native New Yorker, um, you know, we've seen all of this. You know, I'm, I'm 40. Yep. And in, in my lifetime, you know, we just um, had the uh, 9-11 uh, anniversary and I was a 9-11 survivor. I, I worked in the World Trade Center back, back on 9-11. And we saw the, um, the, the market crash of 08. We saw the, um, the, the, the Hurricane Sandy. So every decade, you know, we've, we've seen stuff, I, I bet not at this magnitude, but, you know, I always try to stick with the positive and not, not get go down that rabbit hole of all the, all the negative stuff. And, you know, we just got to take things one day at a time right now. Um, you know, there, the, the future is definitely uncertain, but there is definitely light at the end of the tunnel. And uh, we just all have to, as New Yorkers, you know, be tough and stand by each other and support our, our, our local communities and just hope for the best. I mean, that, that's the most that we can do right now. This is, this is, this is a time that we've never experienced, uh, all of us. So um, I don't think there's, you know, we're, we're writing history as we speak. You know, I think that's our first hot take right there, which is that, and I, you know, I was going to actually throw this at you at the end of the, the episode as a bonus hot take, but I am tired of these narratives being put out there that New York is dead. I, I'm just tired of it. I'm so over it, you know, like, and I, and it's funny, we, everything you just said, I actually put in an Instagram post basically on 9-11 cause I feel exactly the same way. This idea, you know, all these little mm -hmm. trend pieces being written that like everybody's moving out of New York to the suburbs and this and that. And look, I mean, people got to do what they got to do for themselves. So I don't judge anyone on any decision they make, but you just said it like, like people thought we were dead after 9-11. You know, and I didn't live in New York City yeah. um, at that moment in time. I lived outside New York City and I looked at it as an outsider and I said, "Ooh, I don't know about New York anymore. Like, I'll, just being honest. And I was proven wrong and I'm so glad. I, I remember saying, oh, I guess I'll never live in New York again. <laughs> you know, like that was the mindset right Oof. after 9-11. It was. That was just what it was. We all saw this. We'd yeah. never seen anything like that. And, you know, Sandy. Yeah. I mean, I live near Red Hook. Red Hook was four feet underwater after Sandy. And to see just how much it's yeah. come back. You know, New York, we're, we're the most resilient, smartest city on the planet. And do I think New York is going to be dead? No, it's going to be different, but it ain't going to be dead. All right, here on Hot Takes on a Plate, you get to eavesdrop on the ultimate food fights as I debate my culinary world friends and other eating enthusiasts in their areas of expertise. And Wilson, I'd love to throw some hot takes your way about Chinese and Chinese American cuisine. Your job is to tell me I'm right or tell me I'm wrong and why. Ready? Okay, let's go. <laughs> All right. Number one, Chinese American food is the best takeout delivery food there is. It's not even close. And the reason is it travels so well. If you take fried rice, lo mein, anything like that, you pack it tightly. You know, it, you know, if you keep that lid on 30, 45 minutes later, you open it up, guess what? It's still hot and fresh. A pizza, I've always thought pizza is the most overrated delivery food, especially if it's a thinner crust pizza, because by the time you get it, it it's, it's, it's done. It's toast. You need to put it back in the oven. It's not, it's, you gotta, you know, I just don't get it. I, I, to me, Nothing, nothing beats Chinese American cuisine as a takeout delivery option. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. I would have to agree with that. Um, I remember very young as a kid, um, my mom would always get the, 
beef or broccoli at the at the corner uh, at the neighborhood takeout joint, and that would actually last us a couple of days. Um, I had my mom had this technique where we would actually order extra rice, and the rice we would um, leave it in the fridge, and when we need to use it, we put a paper t- a wet bounty towel over the rice and put it in the microwave. It'll taste just as new. Uh, nice. So I 100% agree with you on that. And I would have to say, got to be top three uh, delivery-proof food in New York City. So you said top three. What are the other two? Um, the other two that I really like um, as far as delivery is concerned is uh, Japanese works really good. Like sushi works really yes. good for me. because Well, you need to eat it uh, um, immediately. But I think... I think um, sushi is one of the iconic foods of New York. And um, for it to be able to get to your doorstep without having to sit at a restaurant is, is awesome. Um, the second one, I can go with Thai. Thai yeah. is also very similar. Like yep. the noodles are really good. Um, you know, it, and there's, you know, it's spicier than Chinese food. So like if you're looking for a kick, that's definitely one uh, to look at as well. You do get more bang for your buck with the with the Chinese American cuisine. You're definitely onto something there. And I will say your paper towel trick. I do the same thing if I want to reheat sometimes tortillas. I get their flour tortillas, and I don't feel like putting them on the stovetop. I will take a damp paper towel, put them in the microwave. It's a great little trick. <laughs> I, I didn't know it worked for tortillas. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. All right, next one. Since you 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 specialize in dim sum, I want to talk dumplings, and to me, the best dumplings. Of all the dumplings, our soup dumplings, I just, I to me, they are just a a a a marvelous invention that defies logic. How you can have this 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 pasta dumpling filled when you bite into it with soup? You know, so it's it, 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 it to me, it's the best dumpling. Tell me I'm right. Tell me I'm wrong. I I agree with you. Only if it's dining because it's not true. Great. That's bad my delivery. One thing. Yeah, bad delivery. Um, so I agree with you because um, as people get more and more creative, um, now it's it's not just a regular broth. There's crab. There's all these different um, soup that you can put into it as well. So I agree with you on uh, the most innovative dumpling uh, is the soup dumpling. Not not traditional, mind you. Um, this is definitely uh, from the north, um, but it has been well received. Uh, especially in New York City. It's my kid's favorite thing. My kids love soup dumplings. They're obsessed with them. We actually had them at your restaurant one time. I think it was the first time they actually tried soup dumplings and they were oh, like really? blown away, nice. blown away. They asked me for them, but like one, they don't delivery, deliver well. And two, I can't find them for delivery anywhere in my neighborhood. Like the best I could do is go to Sunset Park and buy a frozen you know, packet of them and, you know, keep them in the freezer kind of thing. But even those don't, don't translate as well. Yeah. It, it's, it's best, um, definitely at an in-store experience. Um, but you know, during these times, you know, um, I'll take the trip to sunset park to, to pick up a pack of frozen. <laughs> and, you know, fun, funny thing is, uh, we started doing the frozen that's uh, right. as well. And that's been a, a monster hit for us, uh, almost as a good pivot tool for us in our business. You just get those on your website? Yeah, it's available on our uh, on our website. Um, there's like a little process where you send us an email and then we, it, we figure out like a, a way to get it to you. Like we have like a, a route 
uh, on, on two days a week uh, in Manhattan and in uh, Brooklyn. But you can also pick it up at our Nolita store uh, if you were looking uh, for that. You can pick it up uh, in person. That's great to know. Great to know. All right, next one. I got a conspiracy theory for you, Wilson. Conspiracy theory. Sesame chicken. Hey, I'm ready. Sesame chicken and General Tso's chicken are the same thing. <laughs> what you do you are, think of that? Oh, man. Um, I mean, basically, dude. there's slight differences, but I mean, really, if I blind taste tested you and didn't add the sesame seeds to the sesame chicken, would you really be able to tell the difference? No, it's the same. It's the same. <laughs> I, I, um, I got to tell you one thing. Um, being Chinese American, as much as I'm American Chinese, we are so damn resourceful uh, when it comes to um, our, our food. Um, you know, um, as you may or may not know, we, we have a cookbook coming out next month. And while we were doing all the recipes, it, it struck me that, oh my gosh, you know what? Like our shrimp dumpling filling is also the same filling that we put in our stuffed eggplant. If you add pork to it, now that's pork and mushroom. Now that's our shumai filling. And, if, and that filling, if you add chives to it, now it's a shrimp and chive dumpling. So we can basically take one thing, mix up the ingredients a little bit. Now it's a completely different item. So while we were make, uh, doing our cookbook and making the rest, look, looking at the recipes, I'm like, holy shit, like a lot of our stuff is from a master filling, one, one master filling, but if you take away, add a little bit, now it's another filling, but there is basically three master fillings, a, a shrimp one, a pork one, and a everything else one. But so isn't that the ultimate like chef thing, right? Like, like you go to like the most high end chef driven restaurants, they don't want anything to go to waste. And so they're always finding ways to repurpose ingredients. And isn't that how the egg roll came to be anyway? Wasn't that like scraps basically thrown in a wonton wrapper? Like, am yes, I right? yes. See, like we're, we're so resourceful and, and our cuisine goes back hundreds of years, you know, if not thousands at this point. Which actually segues perfectly into my next hot take, which is that, you know, I think in, in the culinary world, a lot of people like to say that, like, the, the most influential cuisine on, on, on the rest of the world is French cuisine. And I think it's Chinese. And I'm going to even go as far to say that the, the greatest, the Chinese American cuisine may be the greatest American contribution to the food, the global food landscape, because there's more Chinese restaurants than McDonald's out there. That's why you and I get along, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but think about like how many things have spo like 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 it look. You, part of it is just that like China as a civilization has been around like forever, yeah. And so many yeah. things have spawned from. It. I mean, you know, like China was doing pasta before Italy was. You know, like all these right. things, right? Yeah, totally. And and you know what? I back on the French cuisine. French cuisine is just not affordable. You know, it's it's not for the for your middle class uh, primarily. You know, like how often can you go have French food? But when you're talking about Chinese food, you know, you're right. There are more Chinese restaurants than McDonald's in the U.S. and, and specifically, like you said, uh, Chinese American restaurants. And and that almost you can do weekly or two or three times a week, and and it's still pretty normal. And I think Chinese American cuisine, it's almost like it's taken a little bit of a backseat in recent years because it's not 
it's like almost like it, it it was already quote unquote discovered. You know what I mean? Like everybody's looking, what's the thing that there's there's less of that's less familiar to people in this country that we need to talk about. But to me, the, the beauty of Chinese American cuisine is that for so many people in this country, it's like the first thing that they eat that they're that may that maybe not may not be of their culture. So like I think about like when I was growing up, I grew up, you know, about 75 miles north of Manhattan. And where I was growing up when I was a kid, your only options were chains, um, Italian-American red sauce places, because there was a lot of influx of people from the Bronx and Queens who moved up that way, Italian-Americans, and Chinese takeout. That those were, that was it. So like, you know, yeah. like I didn't grow up with sushi. You know, like I didn't grow up with Thai food. I didn't grow up with, with so many things. So to me, it was like, that's what I ate as a kid. Like I ate Chinese takeout, Chinese buffets, and, you know, red sauce and, and, and chains. That was it. Yeah. Hey, you know what? Um, I, I, I think there is definitely a deep correlation between just Americans and Chinese Americans liking Chinese American food. Um, you know, it, it's just like the flavor profile works and, you know, as, as immigrants, um, you know, we, the only type of work that was available was restaurants. So we basically adapted Chinese food to the American palate. And I, I think it was, it was kind of like a match made in heaven of sorts, you know, it's a harmonious, um, uh, combination. And, and you know what, another, another, uh, fun topic is that, you know, I consider myself a American Chinese dim sum joint. And, you know, a lot of our customers are, you know, Caucasian or, you know, there's a, you know, we have a big fan base of Jewish folks, you know, like Christmas day is like the biggest day of the year. And I think that just, you know, there's a lot of Jews in New York, you know, and that also helped elevate, um, Chinese food, in, in a sense. Um, you were talking about 75 miles north of Manhattan. I once went to a Chinese restaurant that was run by a Jewish guy uh, that was serving glatt kosher Chinese food. And the line for this place was out the door, and it's a little hole in the wall. Uh, I forget what town it was in. Long like, Island? Was, was it on Long no, Island? No, no, no. It was, it was north. It was okay. North. It was okay. Like Cause there's, there's a place like that on long Island too, by the way. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> and, and I just, I'm like, you know what my, I've, I've, I've seen it all, you know, like Chinese food made by my Jews, but, uh, that is, that is acceptable for their diet. Well, so, you know what? It's an American cuisine. You know, yeah, that's the beauty yeah. of it. Like, like, you know, the, the red sauce, pasta and pizza places. That's, that's American, you know? Yeah. It's, it's not really Italian, but it's, it's, it comes from, the roots of Italy, yep. but it's been Americanized. Yeah. I mean, gosh, going back to the whole general so's sesame chicken thing, like when I was in high school, like one of my favorite things to do, I kid you not back when it was like, I don't know if it's still the cool thing to do. Like when you're a teenager to go to the mall, but I used to go to the <laughs> mall and me and my friends would like play the game of like hiding out in the food court and seeing how many free samples of sesame chicken we could sneak. <laughs> like, like it just, it was just like, Oh, you're giving me this, to, this to me for for free and it's like delicious, delicious. like bring yeah. it on and the samples were always the best ones because they weren't sitting in the steam tray forever so they were super crisp 
Like the like the sample ones were delicious. They were always better than what you got when you actually went and ordered it. <laughs> well, you know how that works, right? They they make the pot of it, and then the first sampling is the, the first scoop goes to the samples first. Yes, and doesn't sit in the, the steam tray. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it, where you get it, it crispy it and perfect. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it doesn't hit the steam tray at all. Yeah, good stuff. Good I, stuff. I know, I know, I know those vibes that you're talking about because I I, I remember going to Roosevelt Field Mall uh, as a kid. <laughs> you know, you're talking about Long Island. Oh yeah, and there's this place called Sakura. It's a Japanese, but run by Chinese people, and they would give you the sample bourbon of chicken. chicken. Teriyaki. Yep. I would always, yes, I would always go two or three times and I end up ordering it too, but I'll get like a couple of samples before oh, yeah. I actually um, <laughs> ordered it. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, I wanted to ask you but before you run um, about Chinatown right now, you know, I know when COVID was starting to come out in the news, obviously um, there was a lot of racism towards Chinese Americans and Chinatown and Chinatown took a big hit. You being in Chinatown with Namwa Tea Parlor, what is Chinatown looking like right now? I know you said a lot of places are closing, but are you are you seeing life like like what's going on there right now? Um, so let me see how I can say this. Um, so things are better. I, I think there was a lot of ac- ab- advocacy um, for our, for our community. Um, I and I'm so proud to see. Um, the next generation of Chinese American folks uh, take on um, a grassroots approach to helping out the community. Um, you know, if you look on Instagram, um, welcome dot to dot Chinatown, welcome to Chinatown with, with a with a period in between the, the words, and send Chinatown love, think Chinatown. These are all. Um, Instagram accounts that are run by younger Asian American folks that really are passionate about helping the community. And I think COVID, if nothing else, nothing good that came out of it, this was something that really I saw as a point where, you know, the younger generation is stepping up to help the community before it, before it definitely like falls apart. And, you know, for me, it's like, you know, I'm one person, you know, I have a voice, but it's not nearly as loud as a com- like a co- coll- collective effort from all of these younger folks. And um, you know what? We're, we're, we're busy on the weekends. If, if anyone were to come down to Chinatown, you'll see that we have the outdoor dining kind of, kind of like figured out. And we have just, um, you know, especially when the weather is nice, um, it's, it's busy. It's really busy on, on, on Friday and Saturday nights. That's great um, to hear. Weekdays is, yeah, weekdays is a struggle. Um, but, you know, I, I've, I've definitely seen it uh, gotten a lot better in the, in the last three or four months. You know, I mentioned at the beginning of the, the question about Chinatown, um, obviously racism that Chinese Americans faced in, in, with COVID. And obviously race has been a huge talking point in this country you know, this yeah. year, um, yeah. with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and, and you can go on and on with, with, with the names of, of, of black Americans that have dealt with awful things at the hands of police officers and others. And, you know, it's really interesting as it pertains to restaurants, because it used to be that restaurants didn't really share opinions on things. Restaurants would just stay out of stuff. They were, they were neutral, they were Switzerland. And now, 
it's almost in some corners, it's like the opposite. If you don't say something, it's like you're considered to be saying something. And I'm curious kind of your take on this, you know, do you feel like you need to take a stand on these issues? Because as a Chinese American, you've, you've faced racism before. Yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, like, I don't, I don't think there's any uh, Asian American that has not faced some sort of racism in, in, in their life. Um, but you know what, these, these are those topics that I, I don't have, I, I'm still plotting and understanding uh, what's in front of me. And uh, I, I'm, I'm just kind of still looking at, at the whole situation and, and trying to make an educated decision on where, where I stand. Um, but, you know, this is something that shouldn't be tolerated. Um, and we, we just need to do better. I think we, as human beings as a whole, we all just need to do a little better for the sake of the entire world, honestly. Um, but it, change, change is inevitable. Uh, and I think with time, um, change will happen. And um, I, I think part of that will be with this election uh, in what, how, what's the countdown now, like like 50 days or something like that. Is it really um, that close? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah it's, it's super close. Um, so I, I think I think that's that's what we're looking for, uh, looking towards to. And uh, I encourage people who are listening um, to, to vote, of course. Um, I think this is the best time uh, to make change happen, uh, whatever color you are. And um, uh, not only uh, voting, oh man, I lost my train of thought, but voting is definitely very important. Also the census, the census yes, and voting yes. this year, super, super important. Um, these are things that uh, will last beyond your lifetime. I you saw know, something lifetime. today about the census that it's been low. Um, people have been in Manhattan have not been filling out their census forms. Um, Cause I guess they've been like fleeing the city and maybe they're, not they're getting not their home. mail or whatever, <laughs> yeah. but um, it could have serious impacts on the funding the city gets federally. It can have serious impacts even on the amount of legislators we have in government yeah. representing yeah. us. Um, so yes, very important. It's not very hard. Do the census. Great point. Census. Great point, yeah. Wilson. And yeah, I just, I wanted to throw that out there at the end because I, it's just one of those things that I feel like is, is such a, you know, you think about the things we grew up with and, you know, businesses always shied away from politics. And I hate even like using the word politics when you're talking about race, because people use that word and I hate it. Cause to me, certain issues are not political in my opinion. Like, like, you know, to me, it's not political to say, you know, black people, their lives matter. I don't know why that's a political thing. It's not saying other people's lives don't matter, don't matter but somehow right? it's gotten twisted. And I just, I don't know. I don't know how we got to this point. I mean, we could spend a, a whole other, you know, series of podcasts talking about how we got to yeah, this point, yeah. probably. Uh, we don't have time for that, but it's just, um, it's really interesting to me that, you know, now when I go places, I see so many businesses saying where they stand and just putting it out there. And that is such a different vibe than what you would have found even 10 years ago. Yeah. I, I mean, even five years ago, I want to say, um, like, especially for restaurants like this, you know, we're neutral, you know, like we want everyone to come in and eat. Um, but, you know, it's times have changed and uh, we, you, you got to either morph, morph and adapt to the change or you're kind of going to get left behind and, and, and be lost in the shuffle. So you're right. Um, change needs to happen uh, and we, we need to take a, a, 
stance on, on, on our beliefs. Well, Wilson, thank you so much for, for joining me here on Hot Takes on a Plate. Uh, that was a very wide-ranging conversation, everything from <laughs> sampling yeah. uh, sesame chicken in mall food courts to COVID to race. Uh, but I appreciate you taking the time. Make sure to check him out at, at Numwa Tea Parlor, Numwa Nolita, if you're in Philly. Are you open in Philly? We are open. Takeout only. Yeah, make sure to do that as well. Um, Thank you again so much. And if you like what you heard here on Hot Takes on a Plate, make sure to subscribe to the show if you listen on Apple Podcasts or follow the show if you listen on Spotify. Make sure to also rate us. Five stars, of course. Leave a comment. I'd love to read them. Of course, if you want to get in touch with me directly, you can at Rob Patron TV on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Hot Takes on a Plate is part of the Believe Podcast Network. Check them out at BLEAV.com. I'm Rob Patron. Till next time. Ciao. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.